Before its destruction, Babylon was a city built on financial gain. But Babylon is more than a city. It's a culture believers would do well to avoid. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at both the city and culture of Babylon and the damage that results from each. Could you be living in Babylon right now? Find out as David concludes the collapse of the global financial market. Well, I remember when I first read uh, Revelation chapter 18 and the very detailed discussion of what's going to happen to uh, Babylon in the final days as it represents um, the economic um, domains of the world, which is mammon, if you will. It's the alternative that many people have to worshiping God. They worship money. But at the end, this false kingdom is going to be destroyed, and Revelation 18 describes it. If you want to read ahead, you can do it. You have my permission. Go read Revelation 18, and you'll be amazed. And then listen to the uh, program that we're going to share today and one from yesterday. And we've kind of organized it right from the text, and it tells a very detailed story of the collapse of mammon, the collapse of the materialism. And it is quite a warning to all of us today. I hope you'll stay with us for part two of that lesson here on Turning Point for the Thursday edition. And then don't forget, you can get the the study guides for this series from davidjeremiah.org. There are three study guides that cover the three months of this prophetic series, and uh, they're available to you. Uh, uh, You can purchase them from Turning Point, have them sent right to your home. You can get a copy of the textbook, the 463-page textbook for this series by simply sending a gift of any size to Turning Point and requesting it, and we'll send it to you, and we'll get it there just as soon as we can, so you'll have it for the majority of the series going forward. Okay, here's part two of the collapse of the global financial market. This is Revelation chapter 18. In verses 12 through 13 of Revelation 18, I want to read to you a list of all of the wonderful things that will be in Babylon, all of the commodities that will be available. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, and fragrant oil, and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Now, if you go through this list, there are 28 objects on the list. It's interesting to see that gold and silver are at the top. Some people may wonder if that means we get off the oil standard and we go back to the gold standard. Nobody knows. But after the beginning of the list, next are the things that are for outward show. Remember, this is the wealthiest city the world has ever known. Everybody who is in that city has so much money, so many resources. Outward show, personal adornment, followed by the choice articles of rare and precious wood and metal and ivory, and finally the perfumes and the other luxuries and the more substantial commodities, including horses and chariots. But notice how the list ends. And bodies and souls of men. Human trafficking and slavery are a part of the Babylonian prosperity. Babylonian culture and the final system of commerce there will be a dehumanized mankind. Slaves of every kind, prostitutes, male slaves, every kind of debauchery your mind could ever imagine and that you've ever read about in the worst things you've ever read. And sadly, 
ladies and gentlemen, we are already experienced the proliferation of that kind of slavery in our culture today. Nobody talks much about it. But Kevin Bales, an activist professor of sociology in England, has written a book called Disposable People, The New Slavery in the Global Economy. And in this book, he points out that while slavery is still illegal all over the world, there are more than 27 million people who are trapped in history's oldest social institution, with the exception that now this is a slavery that is linked to the global economy. The new slaves are not viewed as long-term investments as once was true. Instead, they are cheap, they require little care, and they are disposable. And that's what will be true in the city of Babylon. It will be a city of trafficking in slavery, in the most awful kinds of social degradation that ever has been imagined. And Babylon will be judged because of her sorceries and because of her seductions and because of her sins and because of her self-glorification and because of her slavery. And finally, she will be judged because of her sacrifices. Cycle down in Revelation 18 to verse 24 and notice, And in Babylon was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. Let's think about this for just a minute. In a city that is all about man and all against God, there will be some people who are Christians who will come into this city, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And the Bible says that Babylon will be famous for its persecution and martyring of the prophets and the saints of that day. It will not be a good thing to be a preacher in Babylon during these days. Anyone who stands for Christ stands against the system. Anyone who has not taken the mark is a rebel against unity in the city of Babylon. And the Bible says that those who do not cooperate, especially the saints and the prophets, will be martyred. In the end, Babylon becomes a place of the slaying of God's leaders. So there it is, block by block, sin upon sin, the tower of iniquity will rise from Babylon until God brings a sudden and final end to it all. And Revelation 18, 8 and 10 gives a crisp description. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. In one hour, everything that people have spent their lives and their fortunes to build Everything their hope has been resting upon in one hour, because God is not in it, they will see it crumble into nothingness. And the finality of it is the thing that you can't get past in this chapter. In verses 21 to 23, the little term anymore is used six times. Anymore is the strongest way that the Greek language can say no more at all. No more at all. And let me just read this as I believe it is supposed to be understood. When the judgment of God comes upon the city of Babylon, no more at all will songs fill the streets. No more at all will women grind corn in the city. 
No more at all will lamps light the night. No more at all will bridal processions break the stillness of the evening with shouts of joy. No more at all. What a picture of desolation. When God judges a nation or a city or a system, the judgment is sure and it is swift and it is final. In the city of Babylon, the greatest kings of the earth will be found. But in one hour, all of their greatness and might and majesty will be gone. In this city, all of the best merchants of the world will be found. But in one hour, all of their businesses will be closed. In this city will be the best dressed of all the world's people. But in one hour, all the expensive and costly garments are gone. In this city live the best musicians. But in one hour... Every note is silenced. In one hour, everything that man has tried to do to rebel against God is brought to nothing. That's the reasons for the description of Babylon. But this is not the end of the story. In fact, I'm so glad it's not the end of the story because I don't know about the rest of you. I watch movies sometimes, and when the story ends, there's a whole lot more I wish I knew. Do you ever have one of those? In fact, have you ever been watching a movie with your wife and the thing ends and your wife says, that can't be the end. You ever do that? That happened to me this week. Oh no, that's not the end. What about this and what about that? And I don't know why they do that. It's Alfred Hitchcock, come back to life. (laughs) But fortunately for us in the Bible, it doesn't happen here in the 18th chapter. When the city of Babylon is brought to nothing in one hour, How do the people respond? What are the reactions? And in the 18th chapter of the book of Revelation, we are given the reactions of three different groups. We are given the reaction of the monarchs, the kings and the rulers. We are given the reaction of the merchants, all the business people, and the reaction of the mariners, all those who traffic on the sea. So let's go through that. Every one of them is marked by two words. In the scripture, and I've put a circle around these and drawn a line between them in my Bible. Alas, alas. Alas, alas. Not words we use today. The the strongest word in the language for woe or, in fact, the the words in the language, if you read them just like they are, they would go, oi, oi. (laughs) (laughs) Oi. Notice the Bible says that the monarchs of the earth will mourn. Verses 9 and 10. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. When they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of torment, saying, Oi, oi, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. The first to mourn are the kings of the earth who ruled and reigned and connected themselves with this city and thought they had all the power in the world. In one moment, their power will be stripped from them and they will be nothing more than the lowest person on the face of the earth. And they will weep and mourn for their loss. And the merchants of the earth will mourn. Look down again at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. And then is the list of all that merchandise that we talked about a few moments ago. And down at verse 17 it says, For in one hour such great riches come to nothing. The merchants will lament because the economic hub of the world will have been destroyed. Bankruptcy will face everyone. The stock exchanges will crash and the banks will close their doors. Psalm 52, 7 tells us why. Here is the man who did not make God his strength, 
but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. In that day, everything that men have tried to make God in their life instead of the true God will be seen for what it has always been, worthless, meaningless, without any hope, without any lasting joy. In one hour, it's all gone. The merchants will mourn. And then the Bible says the mariners will mourn. Notice verse 17. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour... She is made desolate. In the tribulation, the Persian Gulf will be flooded with merchant ships coming and going from Babylon, the great center of world commerce. And then one day when the merchants come into the Gulf, they're going to look at the head of that Gulf and the city where they have docked to trade their goods is going to be a huge blaze of smoke and fire. And all their cargo will be without any value at all. And the entire system upon which they have built their lives and their hopes will be gone. And they're going to cry and weep and wail and gnash their teeth. So we have the reasons for the destruction of Babylon and the reactions to it. Here's an interesting little parenthesis. The rejoicing in heaven over the destruction of Babylon. Notice verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets... For God has avenged you on her. And then just read that last verse again. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain on the earth. Now get this split screen picture, friends. Let me help us all with this. On the earth, the merchants and the monarchs and the mariners are mourning. Up in heaven, the apostles and the prophets and the saints are rejoicing. And I need to say at first blush, that doesn't seem like that's very Christian. Why should they be doing that? Why are they rejoicing in heaven when there's so much pain and anguish on the earth? Well, because it was Babylon that martyred them. Not just the city, but the system itself. It was Babylon that said, take the mark of the beast and worship the Antichrist or die. It was that system that cut them to ribbons that cut off their heads and flayed them in front of others and boiled them in hot oil and hung them up to die and sent them to the lions and martyred them. And one by one they died and it seemed as if nobody knew and nobody cared. And in Revelation chapter 6, we get a little insight into how they feel. For in Revelation chapter 6, we are told that the fifth seal is open and we are allowed to see the souls of the martyrs under the altar in heaven and to hear their cry as they cry out to God. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And he opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. In other words, God said there's a few more martyrs 
who are going to be martyred for their faith. And when that happens, and it's all complete, you will be avenged. And now at last, in that great city of the future, those who tortured the people of God are going to themselves feel the wrath of God. And as heaven looks down and watches, heaven rejoices, not because they are being judged so much, but because God has been vindicated and his people have been avenged. For it was Jesus who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And here, the saints are called to look down upon a world which they have left, and they see that vile Babylon against which they have struggled and which poured out its scorn upon them and ridiculed them and persecuted them and killed their children and tortured their wives and ravished their daughters. This torture now has come up for judgment. And when they finally sense that God has vindicated himself and avenged them, heaven is filled with joy and rejoicing. The reasons for the destruction of Babylon are six. The reactions are three. The rejoicing is one. And the response is one. For here we are at the end of this chapter, and we're almost finished. But there's one more thing we have to ask, and that is, what do I take away from this? What am I supposed to learn from this? How do I understand my role as a follower of Christ in this pre-tribulation culture, which obviously is beginning to look more and more like Babylon? <laughs> What do I do? Well, Revelation 18.4 tells us, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Please underline in your Bible the little phrase, my people. God is speaking to Christians here. He is saying to those who are in this Babylonian culture who happen to be Christians, come out of her and separate yourself from the awful plague of Babylon. Here we are made to realize that in this wicked, foul city, there will be Christians living. You say, what are they doing there? Some of them have become Christians through the witnesses that may be there. But it is very probable that many Christians from around the world will make their migration to Babylon. Here's one author's idea of why. Apparently, the same worldly allure will attract many believers to the final stage of Babylonian apostasy. The appeal of salary and prestige will entice many capable Christian business and professional men, architects, engineers, merchants, doctors, accountants, and others, to participate in the planning and activation of this exciting and dynamic new metropolis. Christian workers in many construction and other trades will follow the enticement of high wages. No doubt many of these Christians will rationalize their move to Babylon by the opportunity that it will afford them to have a witness in the world's most important city to the world's most important people. That is not hard for us to comprehend because, as you know, we have many people who have gone to Iraq to make money, to rebuild the city, to work in the construction groups, they have followed the dollar to that place where they put their own lives in jeopardy so that they can have more money. Now, what such Christians fail to think about when they use such tawdry excuses is that an effective witness is never mediated through compromise. God's message in circumstances like this is not, be like her, my people, thereby to appease and attract her. His message is rather, come out of her, my people, that you not participate of her sins. Almighty God says to them and to us, 
Get away from the system of Babylon for two reasons. So that you don't participate in her sins and then ultimately participate in her plagues. In other words, if you choose to live like Babylon and participate in her sins, don't be surprised if the plagues of Babylon overtake you as well because that's the way it works. You can choose to be like the world, but you may end up with some of the world's punishment on you before it's over. Did you know that in the Bible, this kind of shocked me. I've never ceased to be shocked by things in the Bible that I've never seen before because how many of you know, the more you know about the Bible, the more you don't know. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's where I'm, I'm just getting to the point where I realize how much I don't know. And in the Bible, there are seven different times where we are told as Christians to come out of Babylon. Seven different places. Now, first of all, seven's the perfect number, so that's important. But secondly, I mean, this must really be something we should be concerned about, that the Bible would seven times call us out of Babylon. And it's not about coming out of a literal city so much as it is coming away from the influence and the philosophy of this city which says, I don't need God. I can do it myself. I will build myself a great life. And if God gets in the way, I'll just keep going. And if I can throw him a little tip here and there, I'll do that. But this isn't about God. This is about me and what I want And what makes me happy. And there's a whole lot of that within Christendom, believe it or not. There are a whole lot of Christians who name the name of Christ and live as if Christ had never touched them. And continue to live for Babylon and for all that it's worth. Who read all of the secular motivation books but never read the Bible. Who go to all the seminars on how to build a great business but hardly ever get to church. And their whole life is about more and bigger and better and richer, and more luxurious, and more houses, and more condos, and more cars, and you name it. Is there anything wrong with having wealth? No. Is there anything wrong with enjoying it? Absolutely not. But here's the question. What are you living for? The Bible says it this way in the New Testament. You cannot serve God and serve mammon. You cannot do the two things together. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. Who are you serving? That's what this is all about. Come out from among that and be separate. And live for God. And honor Him. And don't be a fence straddler. And don't be afraid of what people say. Stand up for Him. If you can't stand up for Him in this culture, ladies and gentlemen, there's a culture coming where you will never stand up. Things can be tough today. Some of you may lose your job. I know some people in Hollywood who can't get apart anymore because it's known that they're Christians. But I want to tell you something. I'd rather be poor with God than rich without Him. I'd rather not have anything and have God. Because you see, when you're poor with God, you're not really poor. You're rich. And if you're rich without him, you're not really rich. You're poor. As I've been saying, every one of us is doing one of two things. We're either headed toward our treasure because we've invested in heaven, or we're moving away from our treasure because it's all down here. So what is it with you? Are you moving toward your treasure or are you moving away from it? Well, that brings us to the conclusion of what we will say is chapter 4 from the book, uh, The 31 Undeniable Prophecy Signs of the Apocalypse. The book is called The Book of Signs, and uh, we have just finished discussing what is included in the fourth chapter. Keep reminding you that you can get the study guides for this series. There are three of them. Uh, One for each of the months of uh, the series will be 
teaching this March, April, and May. So there are three study guides with all the information for every one of these lessons. And I hope you will get the study guides. And many of you may want to conduct your own personal Bible study. There couldn't be anything more relevant right now than what the Bible says is going to happen because some of it's happening. And you will find great interest in the prophetic word. Study guides will help you outline that. Get a copy of the study guide for all of your study group members. You get the textbook. Even get the You can get the CDs if you want to. Then you can facilitate the discussion, and it will be of great benefit and blessing to all who participate. can't tell you how important it is that you get the book, because it will be a handbook for you going forward. With its indexes and its careful organization, you will find it to be a great help to you in your understanding of biblical prophecy. Well, we'll be back tomorrow, and we hope to see you then. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the prophetic series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. When the original tabernacle was moved from place to place in the wilderness, many men and animals would have been needed to carry all the pieces and the parts. Who had the most honorable job? Those who carried the Ark of the Covenant or those who carried a bag full of ordinary tent pegs? 
I would suggest that both tasks were equally honorable, important, and highly valued in God's sight. They were each part of the whole picture, the whole plan for worship. And we should not be concerned about having a great assignment as much as doing our assignment in a great way for God. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God sees our work on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.